Okay, so in eternity past, um, God the Father and God the Son uh, knew that we would sin. Um, they knew that we would rebel. They knew that, that we would walk away. So they devised a, a plan to pursue us. And the plan uh, was that a sinless Savior would come um, uh, as the sinner's Savior. And, and in the fullness of time, the Lord Jesus Christ exited His throne in heaven and He entered into human history very humbly. And He knew exactly what He was sent to do and the work that He was commissioned to accomplish. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature uh, and in favor with, with men and God. He preached the truth. He helped the hurting. He healed the sick. Uh, he gave sight to the blind. He, he, he raised the dead. He rebuked the demons. He contended with the religious, and he, and he emerged victorious. And on the precipice of the most important event in the history of the world, the crucifixion of the Son of God, the atonement for our sin, Jesus paused in John chapter 17, and He paused to have yet another meeting with God the Father and its longest recorded prayer in the entire Bible. And Jesus says this in John 17, 4. He says, Father, while on the earth, I have completed the works that you have sent me to do. Jesus knew exactly what he was, do, what he was going to be doing. He knew exactly uh, what he was sent there for. Jesus accomplished the works that he and his Father had agreed to. Then Jesus proceeded forward boldly, and he went to the cross where he substituted himself for us. The God-man put himself uh, in our place, and he suffered, and he died the punishment uh, we deserved that we might receive salvation that he alone can secure. Friends, everything Jesus did is everything that needs to be done. He said this on the cross, breathing out his last uh, in triumphant victory cry, It is finished. The work of salvation was completed. We don't add to it. It's, it's not Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus a good life, Jesus plus uh, speaking in tongues, Jesus plus tithing, Jesus plus doing better uh, and trying harder because Jesus plus anything um, ruins everything. It's all Jesus. It's only Jesus. It's always Jesus and Jesus alone saves. And that's uh, Jesus saving. That's Jesus' saving His work. And we're not to do anything. We are to trust the one who has done everything. And the Bible calls that faith. So as we trust in Jesus, as we trust Jesus and have faith in Him, we are plugging. Um, we are plugging into the life of Jesus, just as you would take a dead technology like an iPhone that had, you know drained battery uh, and would plug it into like the wall, the power source, uh, so that it would come to life. So we who are spiritually dead by faith have access uh, to the power of the living Jesus and are made spiritually alive. Jesus' work for us begins uh, a work in us. Jesus' work begins to transform us. Our appetites, our desires, our longings change. We no longer love uh, what we used to love. We no longer do what we used to do because we are no longer who we, who we were. Jesus' work for us then continues with Jesus' work in us. And it cultivates with Jesus' work through us to love and to serve and to give. Not so that God would love us, but because in Christ He already has. He's already loved us. Not so that God would accept us, but because in Christ He is already He already does. It's it's the life that Jesus lived in us and through us, so that all of us hear me on this. That all of the work is of Jesus. Jesus did all of the work, all of that that is the work of Jesus. And there is often confusion, I guess, kind of regarding this. And so I think so, there needs to be some things that are clarified with this. 
Uh, one of them is a man named James, who is kind of Jesus' younger brother, um, and he's he's kind of working as a pastor uh, in in the great city of Jerusalem, and he's dealing primarily kind of with religious people. Uh, who've been going to meetings um, kind of like this, hearing sermons kind of like this and for a really long time. And he's going to clarify for them that Jesus' works are your works. If you've got a Bible, find this place, James 2, 14 through 26. That's where we're going to be this morning, James 2, 14 through 26. And, and he's going to speak of faith in, in three different categories. Um, I'm going I'm to look at three different categories is how he, he speaks of faith. And I think the first two are kind of counterfeits. Uh, and the last one is kind of authentic. So the first one is dead faith. The first counterfeit faith is dead faith. James 2, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers? Okay, so what good is it, my brothers? He's writing to religious people. Some are Christians, some are not. Uh, but most are Jewish, and, and he is Jewish. They are Jewish by descent, and they are his Jewish brothers and sisters. So what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that, save, can that faith save him? Now, that's a very uh, significant and I think a very important question. We're saved from Satan, sin, death, hell, torment, and the wrath of God. Uh, being saved is incredibly important. Can this kind of dead faith save you from that fate? And then he uses kind of a case study in, in the verses to follow as an example. You know, if a brother or sister, which a fellow Christian, is, is poorly clothed. Now, there are people everywhere who need help. I don't think you would agree or disagree that there's people out there who need help. Um, there's somebody in your neighborhood, in your class, on your sports team, or just drive down Poplar long enough to find someone who's cold and needy. Uh, or you see someone, like it says, lacking in daily food. Now, probably most of you... Um, people have clothes and have food. Um, if you like me, I probably have way too much food. Um, but we don't, we don't live far from people who daily struggle to make ends meet, including, and that includes groceries to eat. Again, if you want to drive down Poplar long enough, you'll, you'll run into to very many of them. And, um, and it, says, it goes on to say, and you say, and I think that's interesting because it says, and you say, and a lot of us, we, we don't do anything. And this is the problem with religion. Religion says a lot of things. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. You say to them, go in peace. You know, and I think that's kind of a religious hyperbole. You know, we, we quote a little verse and then give them a little truism and a little, you know, when God closes a door, he opens a window. You know, I'm, I'm sure he has great things for you. You know, trust uh, just trust the Lord. I'll be praying. I'll be praying that He gives you a coat. Well, He already did give you a coat. It's at your house. <laughs> you know, it, it, I'll pray He gives you a sandwich. Well, He He does. He He the sandwich is in your fridge. Go get it. You know, if you're going to to pray, answer the prayer. You say, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled." Religious people, um, and this was me for so long. I mean, I was I was very I was very ridiculous. You know, and, and I was probably annoying to a lot of people. Um, you know, when, 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 when religious people talk, it makes you just want to just hit them. And I'm pretty sure people wanted to punch me all the time. Because um, it says, oh, go in peace, beloved. Be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. Now, here's a good question. What's the good in that? What, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know what dead people do? Do you know what dead people do? Nothing. It's not a trick question. They do nothing. You know what dead faith does? Dead faith. You know what it does? Nothing. 
Dead faith is all lip service and no lifestyle. Dead faith is a profession of faith that you do not practice because you do not possess. This is like a guy who says, man, I, I, really, I really love my wife. Okay, well, uh, do, you, do you talk to her? Well, no. Well, do you, do you serve her? Well, no. Well, do you even live with her? No. Well, you don't love her. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, don't judge my heart. <laughs> well, well, the problem is your heart has overflowed your life, and we all see it. Dead faith is lip service, not lifestyle. Now, some of you um, have dead faith, and I'll talk a little bit later about how this was me uh, for so long. But some of you have in- inherited dead faith. You know, you, you don't give, you don't serve, you, know, you don't care, you don't believe in God. And this is kind of the classic, lazy, lukewarm, lifeless religion. And, and some of you have gotten theological about it, and you've, you've got arguments as, as why you're living a fruitless life. And you know what? You can be baptized in the church. You can grow up in the church. You can sit in the church every week. You can have your wedding in the church. You can have your funeral in the church. Uh, you can close your eyes, and you can wake up in a place you don't want to be. Um, because church doesn't save, Christ does. Tradition doesn't save, Christ does. Religion doesn't save, Christ does. It's not what you do. Uh, it's not what the church does. It's what Jesus does and whether or not you trust in Him. And so Jesus said this, A good tree bears fr- what kind of fruit? Good fruit. A bad tree bears what kind of fruit? Bad fruit. You know, I, I remember growing up in my yard, uh, we had these two trees. We only had two trees because I kind of lived not necessarily... I kind of lived in, the, I guess, a neighborhood. I guess that's what you would call it. I don't know if we lived in a suburban area. But we had two trees and one rooted... It kind of it kind of grabbed root because it was in a very good spot and it um and it was fruitful and the other one didn't and it was dead it it, it just was a dead tree uh, I used to hate it because the limbs would fall off it all the time and then my dad made me go pick them up and I hated that but um so one grabbed root and one didn't and uh, I think that that's I think that some of us um, some of us are like that you know it's only a matter of time before Jesus comes back chops you down and and, and burns you up because you're a bad tree and you don't bear good fruit. You have dead faith. It's not rooted. And as a result of not being rooted, it's not fruitful. And so eventually, you know, we had to cut down that tree and and get rid of it because it wasn't doing anything. And so I think that's some of us like that. That was me for so very long. Um, I was rooted in morality. I was rooted in religion. I was rooted in spirituality. I was rooted in tradition. um, But I wasn't rooted in Christ. And and there was no life in me and there was no life through me. The result is fruitless. I was very fruitless. Um, How many of you are discouraged or a little scared so far. Uh, probably many of you. It's 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 kind of a it's kind of a weighty text, and this is me. I'm, but I'm, I'm telling you, I was there with you. Dead faith. That was the first one that I wanted to look at, and that's what I think I had. But there's also another one that could be very many of us as well, and it's kind of a demonic faith. If you keep reading with us, James two eighteen through nineteen, it says, "But someone will say," and again, I want to pause there. But someone will say, "You you know why?" Um, because we just like to talk sometimes. Um, you know, using the Bible to excuse your disobedience uh, to the Bible is not rightly using the Bible. Keep going. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. We believe in plural, pluralism, tolerance, diversity. That's your path. This is mine. Let's not judge each other. We're both right. And he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And so what's going on right now is there's two different types of groups. There's two different types of groups. Uh, you have um, 
and for years, actually 2,000 years, they've been arguing about this, and they still are today. You know, we have the works people, uh, and we have the faith people. You know, the works people are the, the works minus faith, uh, and then we have the faith minus works people. And so the works minus faith people are basically saying... You can earn your salvation. You can. You. It's. It's not what Jesus does. It's what you do. You know. Be a good person. Uh, try harder. Uh, you know. Tithe ten percent. Speak in tongues. Get baptized. Do something. It's. It's. It's about what you do. Uh, and this function, um, oftentimes, is is formally in religion. And and depending upon what religion you go to, they're they're going to hand you another job description. Uh, do these things, and then God will love you. And God will save you and God will forgive you and you can go off to Never Never Land or whatever. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's just you forever. Um, just do these things, this list, every 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 single one of these things on this list um, and, and you'll be fine. And, and that's kind of where I get frustrated um, because every single religion is, works like that except for Christianity. And, and that's why I get frustrated because people are like, man, oh, Christianity is just just like other religions. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, Babysitting is not like terrorism. They're different. Uh, they treat people differently. Religion and Christianity are different. All religions uh, and how all religions work. You work hard, you save yourself. But in Christianity, Jesus does all the work, and you trust in Him. That's why I think that man, our biggest you know our biggest symbol is a Christian faith is a cross, not a ladder. You know, it's not what you do. Um, Jesus did it all, and so. Um, I listened to an interview by a guy named uh, Ravi Zacharias. Uh, if you've not read Ravi, uh, read him. But if you can, listen to him. Um, he's Canadian, but we still love him. Um, he's kind of this East Indian, kind of with a British accent too. And this guy could read a phone book and make it sound interesting. Um, but he's he's one of the foremost Christian experts on world religions. And so I've listened to a lot of him because I, I've been trying to learn more about world religions. Um, and as I was listening to this interview... Um, he's, here's what he said. He said, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, all of them have one common assumption in one way or the other, uh, whether they be pantheistic or theistic, uh, that the means to your destination is good works at the keeping of a certain moral framework or certain laws or certain rules. Every religion except for Christianity says there is a Savior. Um, every, every religion out there says there is a Savior, but it's who you see in the morning when you wake up and look in the mirror. Every, every religion would say that. It's, it's, it's what you do. Um, this leads to pride. You know, I saved myself. Or despair, I failed and I've lost my salvation. And there's kind of this great uncertainty and anxiety if salvation um, is accomplished by me. Because I, I think, man, if, if people, if, if you could lose your salvation, which you, you can't, I think Scripture is pretty clear on it. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Um, we're, we're sinful people. But anyways, uh, these are people, they're having this argument. They're having these faith argument, you know, the, the works people, the faith people. Um, so the works people are having an argument with the faith people, and the faith people are minus works. They're saying, you know what, well, you just need to calm down. Uh, and the faith people, um, there's, I mean, and the works people, there's no need to get serious. Like these devoutly religious people, we don't need to pray. Uh, God's sovereign. He already takes care of everything. Uh, we don't need to give. God will provide. We don't need to serve. That would be legalism and works. And we should just sit down. We should just trust the Lord and maybe maybe argue some theology or publish some books or wait for Jesus to come back. But we, you know we don't. You don't. You don't need to do anything. So the faith people over here saying don't do anything like those religious people, and the works people are over here saying you don't need Jesus. You know, um, like a like a virgin had a baby who rose from the dead. How about something more practical like you figure it out yourself and you fix it yourself. And James says, they're both wrong. They're absolutely both wrong. 
there are versions of this of this in Christianity. You know, there are whole churches and denominations who who basically uh, take one of these one of these options. You know, they the, the faith option or the works option, and, and both are very demonic. Uh, now, there's an informal kind of third way that kind of exists exist out there in our culture, uh, and it says, um, "No, I'm not going to do nothing, but I'm not going to do a lot of things. I just assume that." Whatever I've already done is kind of good enough. You know, these are the people like, man, if I died, do you know where you're going? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Well, why? Uh, well, I believe in God and I'm a pretty good person, uh, which means I'm not going to try harder. I feel like God kind of grades on a curve, and I think I'm okay. I'm one of those C students, but, you know, he grades on a curve. So, I mean, I could do more. I could be doing a whole lot less, uh, but I'm a pretty good person. And... um you know, have, have you have you thought or think or, or know someone who thinks they're a pretty good person? Um, they believe in God. You know, I, I'm sure it'll be it'll be fine when I die. If there's a happy place, I'll go there. Most people are kind of they kind of fit that category, uh, and that's actually a lot of people in my family. So, what's the best answer? James says, "You are like a demon." It's not very encouraging, is it? James says you're like a demon. That would that would not be the best-selling book uh, title out there. You know, you are like a demon. You know, I, I wouldn't go to the bookstore. I would rather go to the bookstore and buy, you know, Seven Steps to a Whole New You over <laughs> You Are Like a Demon. Um, it's not a very encouraging um, title or a thing to say, but he talks about this demonic faith. It's not a saving faith. Demonic faith approaches God the way um, that demons approach God. He says, oh, you believe in, in one God? Congratulations. You're monotheistic. Uh, even the demons are monotheistic. You can have understanding of Jesus uh, without an affection for Jesus. You know, the rig- religious people didn't know who he was. Uh, the demons actually knew who he was. As you read the Gospels, the demons know who Jesus is. And, they, and I'll give you some examples. If you were to look in Mark 1, chapter 34, it says, He, Jesus, would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Luke four thirty three through 34 says, There was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, I know who you are. You are, you are the Holy One of God. Luke four forty one. Demons also came out of, of many, saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they know, knew who he was, the Christ. There's dead faith, friends. Um, I had, Like I said, I had dead faith until I was 19 years old and met Jesus. And I would have said, oh, I was baptized as a young kid. Uh, I believe in God. I'm a good person, better than most. Uh, I'm sure I'm fine. You know, dead faith. I don't know Jesus. I didn't love Jesus. I didn't enjoy the life of Jesus. I wasn't growing in Christ's likeness. Uh, the life of Jesus was not flowing through my life. So if you, if you have dead faith like me, like I did... Um, that's not a good place to be, and, and some of you may be there, but some of you may have this demonic faith, like I was saying. You know you know who Jesus is, but you don't love him. You're not responding to him, and he has not overtaken your life. And so I want to look at the three aspects. i got kind of three aspects of demonic faith that we're going to look at. Um, so um, demonic faith has, has information but not transformation. You know, okay, so do demons believe, um, do demons become Christians? No. Um, do demons know who Jesus is? Yes. So they know who Jesus is, but they they end up going to hell, basically. Um, you, you can know who Jesus is and go to hell because you, you need more than just information. You need that information to result in your transformation. And so the three aspects, the first one is it's knowledge doesn't transform. Some of you could pass a test, you know, 
Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Holy One, and you could score 100% along with, along with the demon and spend forever with that guy uh, because the test is not just a fill in the blank. It's a fill in the life. It's not what you know. It's, it's what the knowledge does to transform you. This idea, you, you can't say, I met Jesus and nothing changed. You can't. You can't meet the creator of the universe, the, the, the one who spoke the world into existence and not change. You just can't. Number two, it, does, it doesn't love Jesus. Demonic faith doesn't love Jesus. Demonic faith knows about Jesus but does not love Jesus. You are the Holy One. You are the Son of God. We know who you are. You know, they don't say, and we love you, and we're so glad to meet you, and we want to become more like you, and we want to follow you, and we want to listen to you, and we want to submit to you, and we want others to see uh, you through us. They don't, they don't, it doesn't say that, you know. They don't, they don't love him. So my question is, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Has he changed you? Is he changing you? The third one is a demonic faith is rebellious and not repentant. You know, oh, you are the Holy One, the Son of God, and, and we're going to do what you say. We're going to submit to you. We're not going, but we're not going to obey you. We're not going to yield to you. We're not going to bend our knee, and we're not going to bow our head in honor of you. No way. And some of you uh, who, who Jesus is, some of you know who Jesus is, and, and you, but you disobey and you rebel. Um, you, you know who he is, but you disobey and rebel. And if and if somebody were to confront you and they're like, you know, what what you're doing is wrong, you know, you, you would kind of look back at him and like, you know, don't talk to me. I know who Jesus is. He's the he's the Holy One. He's the Son of God. Um, but that's exactly what the demon would say. Now there are two kinds of counterfeit faith, like I just described: the dead faith and the demonic faith. You know, dead faith does not pr- produce fruitful living, and demonic faith is entirely exclusively, continually theological and theoretical. It's not practical. It's not actual. But some of you uh, live in a world of theoretical and theological. And, you may, and maybe some of you are even using scriptures to explain away and defend your fruitless, faithless life. And that, again, that was me uh, for so very long. But there is a real faith. Um, there is a real faith. Um, it's the third one he's going to talk about. Um, it's a dynamic faith. It's not a dead faith. It's not demonic faith. It's dynamic faith. James continues chapter 2, verse 20 through 26. Look at it with me. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? How many of you think that you're pretty smart? You know, I'm, oh yeah, I'm, I'm pretty smart. You know, there's, there's a dumb guy sitting next to me. Uh, so I'm all right, you know, okay. He needs to go yell at that guy. Um, but we think we're pretty smart, don't we? You know, like I'm, I'm pretty smart. He says, no, you're a foolish person. Here he's kind of echoing the wisdom literature. You know, a lot of the Bible is about sin and, and, and holiness, but the wisdom literature is kind of more focused on uh, about folly and wisdom. And he says, you know what? This is foolish. I want you to be wise. You know, some of you say, I'm a Christian. Uh, and you may be a foolish Christian. You can be a, a foolish Christian. You know, verse 20 would say, uh, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So, again, what he's going to do is he's going to use these two case studies. He's going to use two people's examples, Abraham and Rahab, a man and a woman. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was, and faith was completed. And I want you to pay careful attention to that word. We're going to come back to it. It's super important. Completed by his works, and the Scripture was fulfilled by that, is what Scripture says. And he goes back to quote Genesis. Um, it echoes through the whole Bible. It's a massive, massive concept and theme. Abraham becomes, for us, this towering figure of faith. Abraham, we kind of look at him, we think faith. Um, Abraham believed God. There's faith. And it was counted to him as righteousness. 
And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, in the second case study, uh, was not also Rahab the prostitute. So if you're here and you've done some things you're ashamed of, uh, the Bible talks about God loving people like you. The Bible, when it talks about loving sinners, it talks about people. Um, it talks about loving people like you. And this is this is the real problem with religion. You know, the real problem with religion is you know be a good person um, and save yourself. You're like, I, I, I've been a bad person, but what now? Like, how, how, you know, I think many of us would say I'm a good person, so yeah, I can save myself because I'm actually pretty good. But I think some of you would would say, man, I'm. I'm not a good person, so how how could I save myself? And that's kind of how Rahab was. Um, she was a prostitute. I, you know, I don't think that, um, you know, Rahab, um, you know, if she were to stand before the holy and righteous God of the universe, and God's like, all right, now tell me what you did to earn your salvation. Uh, well, I was a good prostitute. Uh, no. <laughs> if God saves, that's the most loving, it's the most hopeful, and it becomes uh, the the worst sinner like me. God God loves us, and He saves us, or d- despite whether you're a good person or a bad person. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. But was not Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He says. You know, Rahab, you remember her? You know, she was a sinner. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew she was a sinner. She wasn't one of God's people. And then God, and then God's people showed up in her town, and God's people were in danger, and they were going to lose their life. So Rahab, uh, what Rahab did, she, she, had this converse, she had this conversion, and she identified with God's people, and she realized that her life was wrong, and she immediately started making some changes. You know, what, what he's saying is as soon as Rahab was converted, you see it. You see that she was converted. Immediately you see it. Her life started to change. She wasn't perfect, but she was different. Friends, Christians aren't perfect, but they're different. And they're on the path to perfection that ends with the resurrection, which is where they will see their perfection. You know, what Rahab did is she endangered herself uh, by helping God's people escape. She identified with God's people. She changed, and she served God's people and God's purposes. She didn't just say, I trust the Lord. You know, good luck getting back out of town. You know, good luck. Uh, She said, no, I'm here to help because God loves me. I love you because God served me. I serve you because God was there for me. God is there for you because God got me out of this mess I was in. I want to help you get out of the mess you're in. It's God's work for me and in me and through me to your benefit. And that's fruit. He says, so obedient faith, he says, what about Abraham? You know, that's what he says. What about Abraham? You know, it says, look at, look at it with me. It says, I want you to take your son, your only son, your firstborn, the son of the promise, the son that you waited for, the son that was born by a miracle, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. Um, a, father would kill, a father would kill his son is, is very foreshadowing and forthcoming of Jesus. Um, the father would send his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we would wait for a long time for him. And he would be born through a miracle to a woman who was a virgin and not otherwise uh, able to conceive apart from the intervention of God. But when born, he would be greatly loved and he would be the son of the promise of the line of Abraham. And so all of this, every bit of it, points back to Jesus. What the Bible says in Genesis is that they went and Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac in obedience to the Lord. And that Isaac literally carried the wood on his back, just like Jesus carried the cross to the place of crucifixion and his execution. And in faith, Abraham was going to sacrifice his only son. 
And God intervened through the angel of the Lord, perhaps even Jesus, and said, don't sacrifice your, your, your son. There's an animal um, as a substitute, but on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Meaning that there will be another day. There will be another day when the Father would send who, uh, another son who would, who would carry different wood and instead would substitute himself for the salvation of sinners. What James is saying, particularly to these Jewish uh, Christians who are in the city of Jerusalem, kind of attending this large church, is what if Abraham would have said, uh, I have faith but not works. You know, I trust the Lord, I just don't need to do anything. Uh, faith is not what we, what we believe internally, it's how we behave externally. Now, I'll give you a simple analogy. Um, you know, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever seen uh, like a, a father in, in, in a pool, and, you know, he's got his kids on the side of a pool, and, and he's like, all right, just jump in, you know, so like a little child. And, and she's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to jump in. I'm scared. And he's like, no, just jump in. Like, trust me, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to let you drown. Like, just jump in. And, and he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to. And then the dad's like, no, you can trust me. You can trust me. I wouldn't lie to you. I wouldn't tell you something wrong. Just trust me. Just jump in the pool. Um, um, but what if they didn't? You know, what if they're on the edge of the pool and they don't jump? Do, do you? Do, do they? Is there trust there? Is there trust there if they don't ever, ever actually jump in the pool? No, because there's no because trust is is has to see results. Um, because trust in here results uh, in action out there. Trust in here results in action out there. Once they jump, they really have faith in their father. Until then, they have faith in their footing. You know, until they actually jump in, they, don't, they have faith in their footing and not their father. Uh, what he's saying here is Rahab trusted the Lord in here, and you could, you could see it out there. She trusted the Lord in here, and you could see it out there. That Abraham trusted the Lord in here, and you could see it out there. That when the father asked them to jump, they jumped, and he caught them, and he cared for them, and everything was okay. And I think that's dynamic faith. So we need to start trusting in Jesus. You know, non-Christian, religious person, moral person, you're not a good person. You're a sinful person. We all are. And I'm probably even worse than all of y'all. And I could probably give you a list of why, or a bunch of reasons why. And if you want one of those, come find me. I'll give it to you. Um, there's nothing you can do to fix yourself and please God. Um, you need to stop whatever you're doing and start trusting in what Jesus has already done. Christian, God has prepared good works for you. That's why we were created, was to be holy and, and to, to do good works. There are people for you to love. There are people for you to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus. There are things for you to learn. There are ways for you to grow. There are desires uh, that need to be changed. There are mindsets that have yet to be altered. There's generosity for you to share. There's a kingdom for you to serve. There's a mission for you to be a part of. And Jesus invites you to join him in this wonderful, glorious, good works of the gospel, moving through the nations of the earth, starting in the lives of his people. So don't sit back in your seat and be like, oh, it sounds like preaching works. You know, he's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching works. No, I, I, what I want to preach is love, love for Jesus uh, love for his people, love for the world that compels us to action. It's the same love that got Jesus off his throne, got Jesus into history, and got Jesus caring and loving and seeking and saving and serving. It's not, and it's not us. It's it's Christ in us, the hope, the the hope of glory. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Don't have two categories in your life. Uh, please don't. I did this. You know, Jesus and me. It's, it's, it's Jesus through me, Jesus through me. All glory to him, all joy to me. Can I get an amen? Now, you who, who know why you're here, if you know why you're here, um, 
you know that you were born. Obviously, if you're here, you're born. That makes sense, right? I don't know why I said that. But if you're here, you're born, obviously, um, unless you're born in a test tube in a lab in Arizona like I was. I'm just kidding. I was not. Sorry, that wasn't funny. Um, so now that you know, you have experience to do and, and, and the gifts that you have been given uh, and opportunities that have been set before you because he has good works prepared for you in advance for you to do. Uh, God created you, and beforehand he had uh, good works prepared for you to do. And here's the good news. Um, he actually doesn't need you. Uh, but he loves you just as like a good dad allows the children he loves to participate with, a th- with him in the things that he does. Our loving father loves to have his kids go to work with him. We get to see what he's like. We get to see what he's doing. We get to see where he's working and what he's, he's building and what he's changing. And we learn more about the father and we get to see the family grow and we get to, we get to share in his joy and we get to come, become more like him uh, as we work alongside him. And he doesn't force us to work with him because he isn't using us. In fact, uh, we make his work much harder, but he, he invites us to walk alongside him and to work with him because he loves us and he wants us to love what he loves, see who he is and what he does. Amen. Let us pray. Um, Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for, for loving us so much. God, you've, you've created us intentionally with a purpose. God, we, we are designed to, to be holy. We were, you created us for good works. And so, God, I pray that we wouldn't be confused um, about having faith but no works or, or having works but no faith. Um, God, I pray that we would just fall so much in love with you. God, that we would never get over the fact that you stepped down from your throne in heaven, came down to the earth, um, live the perfect life that we couldn't live and, and die the excruciating death that we all deserve. God, we thank you for that. God, we thank you that um, as, as we move about our weeks, as we move about the rest of this school year, God, that we can, that we can, we can as believers, uh, show uh, the world you. God, you shine through us. Lord, we want to be used by you. And so, God, I also pray for, the, for maybe the non-believer in here this morning that they would, that they would run to God's Word, that they would, they would look at their lives and they would say, um, man, I just, I'm just not completely convinced um, that I, I'm bearing fruit, that I'm not convinced that, that there's evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not convinced that I even have a relationship with you, God. I know you. Um, I, maybe I know about you, but I don't actually know you, God, that I wouldn't have dead faith, that I wouldn't have demonic faith, but God, that I would have dynamic faith. God, I, I pray for each and every one of us as, as we even go um, as next week into, into, into thinking about pursuing Colorado, that we would, we would see that as, that is an opportunity um, uh, for us to get away and to, and to get away from the noise of life. Um, so that way, maybe we could hear you better. But God, again, I just want to pray that we would just love you. God, that you would just give us the grace and and strength to love you more, God, and that out of that love um, we would produce good works like you created us to do. Lord, we love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.